The last two weeks I've been speaking about building a relationship with God, building a healthy relationship with God. Now that's obviously a very vast topic that we could cover for an entire year. But in John chapter 10, Jesus begins to outline something very important for us that we're going to look at again today. We're going to read it. Last two weeks have been interesting, just looking into the Pharisees. The context is obviously John chapter 9, the blind man gets healed, and he recognizes who Jesus is because Jesus reveals himself. It's kind of like what I was saying in the worship. Imagine giving something so precious to humanity and to God's people so that when the Messiah comes, that the Pharisees, the doorkeepers, the under-shepherds is actually the term, is like pastors or elders today. But the doorkeepers were supposed to be the ones who would point to Jesus and open the door to him. And everything pointed to Christ. And he comes, they cannot even recognize him. Instead of opening the door to him, they fight him and they come against him. So he had revealed something so that they could see who he was. And they couldn't even recognize him. A blind beggar can recognize him. The woman with the issue of blood can recognize him. They just couldn't recognize him. It's tragic, actually. And so when he says thieves and robbers come in another way, he's actually talking about false shepherds, under-shepherds that have no context of who Jesus really is. He's actually talking to the Pharisees. So we live in a world where people don't like being offended. Jesus offended people. Amen. Jesus offended people. You know, let me say this. It's got nothing to do with this. Let's tread on some careful ice here. If we raise a generation and we teach them that the only way they can be successful is to make sure that no one says something that they don't like, that's the end of the end. We're done. We're called to raise people that no matter what happens to them, they flourish. Not they flourish because everyone does exactly what they want. Yeah? All right. Good. I'm glad we agree. Wonderful. And then last week, we looked at something very precious to me. I would encourage you to listen to last week. We just talked about navigating, navigating the waters of contrast. What do you do when life happens and we have no context for it? We don't understand. And it happens to all of us. And I encourage you to go listen. So, John 10. We're going to read again, first 10 verses, and then we're going to have a look at what the Lord says about it. Most assuredly, John 10, verse 1, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Friends, we follow because we know his voice. It's a big key in a relationship with God. It's the way he chooses to lead. He doesn't choose to lead by rules or, or dictators or religion or any form of even morality. By his voice, relationship. He says, yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Did you ever notice that Jesus didn't take a great effort to help people understand what he, his sermons you ever noticed? He just said, well, if you can hear, hear. If you don't, if you don't. Because there were some things that he said that were so precious that he wouldn't reveal. You had to be in a position to understand the pearls of the kingdom. Otherwise, he actually wouldn't help you understand them. It was a heart issue. Sometimes today we make so much effort to try and make everyone understand, which is helpful. 
He didn't do that as much. It's just a thought. Say that before you preach a bad sermon, so it's okay. <laughs> then Jesus said to them, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever can before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So Jesus begins to give us the snapshot of what a relationship with him is going to look like in the new covenant. And he says, you have to understand that you're moving away from the law now. The relationship with God is not going to look like that anymore. And in this new relationship, there's going to be different players. There's going to be hirelings and thieves and robbers, which are false under-shepherds. There are going to be wolves. There's going to be other sheep. There's going to be my father. There's going to be me, the good shepherd. There's multiple players, and it's it's not concerning, but interesting to me in that his outline of what a new covenant relationship with him will look like, he says you will have to learn to determine whose voice is whose. You cannot follow a stranger's voice. It's something that we are required to, in a sense, learn and steward over because he opened this relationship with God to all the nations of the earth. It's no longer just Israel. So he said, I've opened the curtain. Everything is made open. Everything is made free. You have to learn to discern him and follow him. The key for it all, obviously, is his desire to communicate with each person. Friends, no longer a mediator or a priest or a pastor or a prophet. God and you. That's always been his plan. It's always been his desire. Always. Always. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you could come and listen to me preach every week. Heaven help us, if that's the truth. It's just the truth. He didn't die on the cross for that, so that you can be impressed or unimpressed on eloquence or lack of, and judge, well, that's a new angle of Scripture, that's interesting. He didn't die for that. He died because He wants to communicate with you. He wants a relationship with you, Him and you. The role of a shepherd, the role of an under-shepherd, I'm not the shepherd, he's the shepherd, but the role of an under-shepherd, the role of a doorkeeper, it's in reference to Psalm 84. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the courts of the house of God, speaking about presence, than dwell in the tents of the wicked, in other words, the wealth of the world. The role of the under-shepherd, the role of a pastor, preacher, whatever you want to call that, is to open the door so the sheep see Christ, not them. So the sheep learn to hear his voice and learn to understand his presence. Everything else comes after that. Vision, discipleship, everything comes after that. Unfortunately, people are accustomed to more being comfortable just to hear the pastor or this great man of God. Now, those people are helpful. But if you cannot see Christ through them, through what they're doing, they open the door and the first thing you see when the under-shepherd opens the door, it's like he's behind the door. And you see Christ. That's Jesus' description of what an under-shepherd should do. And he says, hearing God's voice. My sheep will hear my voice. Hearing God's voice is sometimes a very, in our concept, in our world, it's something that's very, it's not the best description. You know, in Canada right now, and if you're Canadian, bless you. There's a place up in Canada, I was reading an article about it, and I checked that the reference is true, 
that before they check you out of an insane asylum, they have to ask you this question by law. Do you think you hear God's voice? If you say yes, they're not allowed to let you go. Now, I understand. I understand. It, people are crazy sometimes. I understand that. But he said, my sheep hear my voice. But there's funny, funny, phonetic. They hear my voice. We just think here like, no, Clayton, it's not like that. It's not like that. But it's very unhelpful sometimes because everyone says, well, I can't hear his voice. I can't hear his voice. I said that for years, for years. You can hear his voice. I can't hear his voice. I'm, I don't hear God. You know, we've heard, I don't hear God. You hear God. I don't hear God. The best way, most people would read this text and we're taking a bit of a longer way to get into it. But the reason we're taking a while to get into the different ways that God speaks is because the best way to learn to discern who's speaking is to have an intimate relationship. It's like if you know someone really, really well and someone says, that person said such and such, you would be like, uh, I, I don't. I know them, they wouldn't say that. That doesn't sound like them. That's why he's given us his word. So he speaks to us and we'll be like, uh, that doesn't sound like him. It, the, the best way to discern who is who is an intimate, close relationship with the person. When someone says, Jen said this, I'll know. Yeah, that's my, that's, yeah, that's my wife. Or, nope, she wouldn't say that. Or, are you sure you understood? That's probably not what she meant. It's very practical. And so it's interesting, even in John 17, it's not in the notes, but we're going to get into this next week. In John 17, he said, they have kept your word. Jesus is praying to the Father about his disciples. He says, they have kept your word. That word is logos. Therefore, I have given them your word. That word is rhema. They have kept, they have been faithful with your word, so I've given them revelation. And I've spoken to them, and they have heard me. So, every person born on the earth... No, that's not true. Understand we live in a fallen world and unfortunately things happen, but babies are born with an ability to hear. They're born to hear. People say, I can't hear God's voice. In the natural, people are born, they can hear, they just cannot understand. They take time to learn to understand, to even begin to distinguish between this one's voice and this one's voice and crazy Uncle Luke, when he comes to visit, it's always louder, whatever. They learn to distinguish people, then language, then diction, tone, body language, communication. But they're born with the ability to hear. They just don't understand. When you are born again, please hear me, you can hear God. You just don't know it's Him. You're born again. You're born with the ability to know His voice, to hear His voice. You just don't understand. And God has many languages that he speaks, dreams, visions, and multiple things, which we'll get into next week. But to say, I cannot hear God, I understand what you're saying. You struggle, but you do. I heard for years people say, you can hear God, you just, you know, you, you don't think you can, but you can. And, and I, th I thought, if one more person says that to me, I'm going to help them. <laughs> That's what it feels like. You can hear God. You really, really can, friends. You're born, when you're born again, your spirit man can hear, but it requires training. Amen? So, today, we're going to get a lot into that next week. This morning, I want to look at the stranger's voice. Very, very important to learn to discern the stranger's voice. John 10, 5 says, They will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him. What's the opposite of following? 
to run. Okay? They will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Genesis 2.25 is a picture of what it looked like before the stranger's voice. We always want to go to the law first mentioned. Who was the first stranger? The enemy. The devil. All right. You do not follow a stranger's voice. Genesis 2.25. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Completely naked and unashamed. This was what happened before the stranger's voice comes. I don't know if we can fully understand or appreciate that. To be fully exposed, fully nothing hidden, nothing hidden, no fear of man, no fear of future, no fear at all. Fear was a foreign concept. Everything exposed, not afraid, not ashamed, no shame, everything perfect, everything okay, no issue, until a stranger's voice came. It's interesting to me that in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Jesus endured the cross despising its shame. He was naked on the cross. They were naked and they had no shame. Jesus was naked on the cross, despised its shame. Everything he does is to restore or to make new. Everything he does is to restore to like it was before or to make new. Now my question to you is if eternal life is just about what happens when you die or where you go, why would he deal with shame? Because that happens here on the earth. If eternal life was only about what happens when you die, why would he feel the need to deal with shame? Eternal life has to do with knowing God here. And he has come to restore everything that happened when the stranger's voice came. So let's go read what the stranger said. You guys with me? Awesome. Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, This is obviously a well-read text, but it's the foundation of many things. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. It's never a good idea to add to God's word. He never said, don't touch it. If you're prophetic in this room, don't add. I encourage you. Lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate, and she gave it to her husband who was with her, and he... Eight. So what did the serpent say? Has God indeed said, you will surely die, for God knows that day, and then you will be like God. It's the same thing we have today. Has God indeed said? The first thing a stranger's voice will do is get you to question what God has said. He will get you to question what God has said. Always. And after that, it's like, did God really say, did, has God actually said that? The person's like, uh, and in that moment, he slips in a lie. Well, you won't die. That's the lie. You won't die. That's the lie. And then the seed of doubt comes. For God knows that the day you eat of it, you will, you know, in a sense, have your eyes opened. What's that? The next thing is to sow seeds of doubt about God's integrity and God's character. He's, he's holding out on you. 
God's holding out on you. And then the temptation. You will be like God. And that's the hook. That's the hook. So did God really say, question what he says. Slip in a lie. Cause him to doubt his character, his goodness, his nature. And then throw the hook. Gotcha. You will be like God. Then, what happens is the woman says that when the woman saw the tree, the language there is she fixed her gaze on the tree. Friends, a stranger's voice, the enemy's voice, I mean, getting get into some practical things. This, to me, is very precious. I know it's not as practical, but it's very precious, and it's something that can only be wrestled out with you. Only be wrestled out with you. It's not something I can do for you. I wish I could, but I cannot. It says, the stranger's voice caused the woman to see the tree. When we start to listen to a stranger's voice, the enemy, the culture, or whoever, it always, always causes us to take our eyes off the answer, to eyes off Jesus, to focus on our downfall. I wrote it like this. It calls us to take our eyes off the truth of what God has already given, of what he's already done, and who he is. And we fix our gaze on our downfall, either our downfall in the past, our downfall in the future, or our current issue. And we fix our gaze on the tree, the very thing that would destroy her. That became her focus. That's what the voice of a stranger will do. The New Testament calls it sin conscious. Always focused on that. But the Bible says, fix your gaze on Jesus Christ. Very simple, but very profound. They listen to the voice of the stranger. Let me quickly say this. She said it was desirable to make one wise. And people say, well, didn't want God want Adam and Eve to, to be wise? Yes, he did. He desired for them to, be, to have wisdom, but to have his wisdom with no corrupted nature. We have to understand that, with no corrupted nature. Because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is actually a phrase. It's, it's from one point to another. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and everything between. It's more like saying full knowledge. They were saying, if you eat of this, you'll be like God. You'll have all this full knowledge and you will be wise. But it's a corrupted wisdom. It's a corrupted wisdom. The Bible says man is wise in his own eyes. It's a corrupted wisdom with a corrupted nature. God was holding nothing back on them, friends. He had already given them the planet. He had already given them dominion over the earth and the sea. and the he, had, he was holding nothing back. He had given them life. But the voice of the stranger comes in. I think he's holding out. I don't think he's that good. I think this and that is actually him and not me. But Jesus was the one who said, I come to give life. He comes to destroy. So, what happened? We know what happened. The eyes of them were opened. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden, Genesis 3.8. And they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. That will always happen when you listen to the stranger's voice. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. Very interesting response from the Lord. What did he say? How dare you sin? What did he say? Who told you? You were naked. Whose voice has come in here? Who told you? Who spoke to you to cause this? Whose voice did you listen to? The voice of a stranger. 
That was his response. In that moment, friends, as we know, many things took place which we cannot get into now. Tragic things. The fall of man. Death entered. Death entered through sin, Romans 5. Creation itself, as we know, became corrupted. But we'll focus on this one. When the Bible says they died, everyone says they died. You know, what does it mean they died? Because then they dropped dead. They died spiritually. Their spirit died. Their spirit died. And you've heard me say it again and again. What was born in the garden was self. Self was born. And you see that in everything that they did. Self-image. It says they hid. They became self-aware. Self-image. Think of teenagers. Where does that come from? Self-image. Self-aware. They hid. They were suddenly ashamed. They were naked. They were unashamed. Now they're ashamed. That's self-awareness. Self-image. Self-justifying. Self-preservation. Blaming the woman. It's the woman you gave me. Blaming God, actually. If you didn't do that, self, I'm preserving myself at the cost of another. Think about a marriage sometimes. Self-preservation. Self-righteous. I now know fully. So I can get back to God on my own. I have full knowledge. But it's a corrupted knowledge. It's a corrupted wisdom. Self was born. Where did this come from? Where did that come from? Where did that self, what, how did that enter a heart? Think, we know well sin came, but where did it come from? Friends, there was another fall before the fall of man, the fall of the devil, the fall of Satan. Go to Isaiah 14 real fast. Isaiah 14, verse 12 to 14. We're going to get practical here in a moment. Isaiah 14 says, verse 12, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. The Bible records what I call the five I wills of the enemy. I will do this, and I will do that, and I will do this. All of them self-glory, self-motivation, self-exaltation, self he fell. The Bible says that you are a slave to the one you obey. Yeah? Friends, we have to understand that when we listen to the stranger's voice, when we partner with it, the power of agreement is all that he has, but you become a slave to the one that you obey, and his nature was put in them, and self was born. Self, I will, I will, I will, and self was born. You know, in actual fact, we see it in everyday life. When God created Adam, he had authority above the enemy. If the enemy had any authority over him, he could have told him what to do. He had to trick him, cunning, deceive, lie. He only has the power of agreement. It's still true today. Only has the power of agreement. If you agree with what he says, I'll show you how that comes. Then it has authority in your life. So what was the enemy doing? God creates a son in his own image, one who is higher than him. He says, I'm going to pull him down so I can stay on top. Think of the business world. I mean, it's everywhere. In order for me to stay up, I have to pull that person down. That's in the nature of the enemy. It just is. 
Don't be sad about it. You can overcome it. So, the voice of the stranger, they hid from God amidst his own creation. When they heard the shepherd's voice, when they heard his voice, it says they were afraid. So everything with their relationship with God altered and shifted. Everything shifted. And what was the result? God said, I will cut you off from the tree of life. You cannot, with that nature, with that corrupted nature, now take the tree of life. You cannot have life. So I cut you off. And we know you put angels and we know the story. Why did I go through all of that? What did Jesus say in John 10? I have come that you may have life. I have come that you may have life. As Hebrew people, they knew what he was talking about. I have come to give you what you were cut off from in the garden because you obeyed the voice of a stranger. I have come to give you life. That word life is the word Zoe. It means this, of the absolute fullness of life, both essential and ethical, which belongs to God, life real, life genuine, a life vigorous and active, devoted to God, blessed in this world of those who put their trust in Christ. That's God's life from the spirit realm in you now. Okay? And after the resurrection to be consummated by new ascensions, among them a more perfect body, to last forever. To last forever. Jesus comes along and says, you have no life. You have to be spiritually reborn. That's what he says to Nicodemus. You have to be born again. I have come that you may have life. I hold life in my hand. Please do not partner with the stranger's voice anymore. And then he gives a description. For when he speaks to you, it will kill you, it will destroy you, it will steal from you. That's his nature. It was Jesus who said about Satan, he is the father of lies. The word father means to come forth from. That's what it means, to come forth from. Jesus is saying about the enemy, he cannot but lie. That is not in the heart of God. Everything he says is a lie. It comes from him. And so I hold in my hand life. It's almost like I can hear Jesus saying, people, don't partner with anyone who says, I will. Don't partner with the, I will. Because Jesus doesn't say, I will. Jesus says, I am. I am the bread of life. I am. Actually, I wrote it down. There's seven of them. You throw it up. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine, the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. It's like I can see him saying to the devil, that's cute. I will? Really? That's cute. I am. I am. I really am. I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning, and the end. I am. And we are tricked by the one who says, I will. It's like judging people on their, what they've done, but we judge ourselves on our intentions. <laughs> yeah, but I will do that. Jesus says, I am. I am who I am. <laughs> Learn my voice. I am the one who will lead you, he says. I am the one who will lie at the... The reason he says he's the door, they used to lie at the entrance to the door where there was no actual door so that bears and lions and wolves if they came they would have to go through the shepherd a hireling won't do that for you the devil will never he is the wolf he won't do that for you he said i'm the one who will lie at the door i'm the one if you listen to my voice you will go in and out and have pasture you'll be well fed that comes from me everything comes from him however he says i've come to set you free from the sin that entered when you listen to the stranger's voice 
so that you may have life, and I hold it here in my hand. However, for you to have continuous access to that life, to flow into you daily, you have to learn to hear my voice. You cannot have that life, in a sense, that daily life, through someone else. It can help a prophetic word, a laying in of hands, but it doesn't last. You have to learn to know my voice, to know how I speak. There's large portions of the body of Christ that have been taught that God does not speak to people today like he used to. Friends, that is a lie. He speaks, and he wants to speak to you. You can hear him. You just don't know you can, and I know that's frustrating. But you can. How do we learn his language? This. This. This is how we learn. It's how we learn to hear what he sounds like. So when he speaks, we're like, that doesn't sound like him. It's how we learn to know what he sounds like. The predominant way that God will speak to you in the early part of your Christian walk will be this. The second will be your thoughts, your, what I call the inner voice. There's multiple ways he speaks. I'll list them for you next week. The inner voice, the audible voice, the inner audible voice, visions, dreams, prophecy, all the gifts of the Spirit. How we came to this building was by a series of five supernatural dreams. God speaks. But friends, you have to learn to know what he sounds like. We have to learn to know what he sounds like. Hebrews says that basically that God, his last word to man was his son. And many people have taken that verse to say that's why he doesn't speak to us any other way but through the Bible. It actually means the opposite. The word son there is almost like a describing a language. I speak son. Everything that he did, that's how I speak to you. The inner voice. Let me give you some practical. Can I give you some, throw some practical things out? He speaks through the voice. How does God speak in the inner voice? Obviously the word, we'll speak about that next week. That for me is my passion. It's the most important. But through the inner voice, he speaks through the voice of our conscience and through impressions, or we can call them thoughts. It'll come through the framework of our own mind. But we have to understand that temptation is not from us. I had a young man a number of years ago come to me and say, I have all these terrible thoughts. And I heard someone else, another pastor, respond like this. So I responded like that because I thought it was great. He said, I all, have all these terrible thoughts that pass through my mind. And I was like, well, that's fantastic. And he was like, what do you mean? I said, well, they're passing through. <laughs> they, they're not from you. And so what happens today is we've been so pressured by legalism that as soon as we have a bad thought, we're like, oh, I'm terrible. That thought doesn't originate with you most of the time unless you're dwelling on it. it doesn't, temptation is the stranger's voice. What you do with it is up to you. And everything the Bible says is established by two or three witnesses. Josh, can you come here? Dwayne. Who's ever seen The Emperor's New Groove? All right. Great movie. And that, that big muscle guy, Kronk, you know, the little angel and a little demon. And they blip up on his shoulder and they speak to him. That's great theology. That's, right. That's great theology. Because the voice of the Lord, the voice of a stranger. And they come, I think this, I think this, I think this, I think this. I'm the angel. So this is... <laughs> This will be the angel. and the <laughs> Sorry. But what's the point, friends? It's great theology. Whatever you partner with, by the test, there's one, two, three witnesses here. By the testimony of, especially when it leaves your thoughts and becomes what you say, dangerous. That by the testimony of one, two, or three, two, 
witnesses, everything is established. If he says something to me and I'm like, and it comes across my mind, yeah, that's true. What he says becomes established, or what he says becomes established in my life. Thanks. It's like that lie now becomes to us a truth. What does truth do? It sets at liberty. It sets free. So what does a lie do? Bondage. And that lie now becomes to you truth because you've partnered with the stranger's voice. It's exactly what happened in the garden. And it'll happen the same way. Did he say, actually he won't, actually you will be like. The same over and over and over again. And when you start to speak it, yeah, I am ugly. Yeah, I am this. Yeah, I am useless. Yeah, I am dumb. Yeah, I can't do that. Yeah. Well, that becomes to you actually a truth. And what it does is if it's not real truth, it's, it's like you put on colored lenses. And everything you see in that area, you will look through that lens. Everything you hear when people speak to you will come through that lens. Because you've established a lie as truth. Because you've partnered with a stranger's voice. Don't do it. Just don't do it. You will know it'll start with the voice of your conscience. It'll be going, no, don't do that. Eventually, that conscience will grow silent. The Bible says their consciences are seared as with a hot iron. Sometimes when God brings you to a place of exceptional tears, it's his way of pressing reset on the conscience button to awaken your conscience back up. That's why you feel like you do after you cry. He's waking it back up to begin to speak to you again. The enemy drives you. You become driven. Even ambition can sometimes, false ambition, wrong ambition. You guys know what I mean by that. Not good ambition, not discipline. Uh, the Lord draws you. He knocks on the door. He goes ahead. He calls you out. That's what he said in John 10. The enemy condemns you. It may sound like scripture, even very legalistic, but it will not lift a finger to help you, just like the law. It'll point out your fault. The Lord will convict you. It contained within his voice is the ability you'd need in order to accomplish, in a sense, everything that he said. That's what Isaiah 55 says. My word will not to return to me void. It has in it the power to accomplish what I've asked it to do, what I've told it to perform. When God speaks to you, sometimes practical things, friends, try to put this discipline in your life or try to do this or try to do this, and it always seems like you try to do it, but it's always out of reach. Who knows that feeling? And then God, you get revelation, and God speaks in your heart, and all of a sudden that thing becomes within reach. Because when it's from him, it contains with it the inherent ability to do what you just heard. You'll have to get into this next week. There's many there. He harasses you. He harnesses you. He, this one boils up. This one bubbles up. We'll get into that next week. Can you throw up one more slide and then we'll, we'll close? Sorting out three categories of thoughts in our minds. I'm just going to read this to you. Thoughts are consistent with the names and the character of the Holy Spirit, including edifier, comforter, teacher, creator, healer, giver of life. We assume they come from the Holy Spirit. Those thoughts will always point toward God and cause our hearts to turn to God and to do His will. It will actually give you a desire to be obedient. Always. Because it contains within it the power to do what you've just heard. Spontaneous negative thoughts come from the enemy. This will line up with the name and the character of Satan, which will include I will, the accuser, the adversary, the liar, the destroyer, the condemner, the thief, the murderer, and so forth and so on. Analytical thoughts, like I said before, they come from you. 
analytical thoughts come from you. The word Jesus uses in Mark chapter 8 when he says to the Pharisees, why are you reasoning? Why are you thus reasoning in your mind? He said it twice to the Pharisees. Why are you reasoning? He actually says within yourselves. Why are you reasoning within your mind? That word reasoning actually means this in the Greek. It means to deliberately revolving around in one's own mind. Who lies on their bed at night? That's analytical thoughts. They come from your mind. They carry... Not that our thoughts are bad. Obviously, study and work and, you know, capacity to fill your mind with good... Obviously, it's nothing. I don't say don't think. Fill your mind. Don't empty it. But they have no supernatural power that comes from Him. I'm trusting that this is helpful to some of us. Next week, we're going to get into how do we... What are the different ways that He speaks? Practical. Very practical next week. What are the ways that he speaks? Uh, what happens in our own heart when we hear God? What does it impart to us? Very, very important.